Hey. Hey, you. Yeah, don't look behind you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated, and they try to sneak huge fees in at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, I'm going up to Dallas next month, meaning July, to try to check out some Rangers games. And you'd better believe I'm going to use SeatGeek. I used it for my trip in Detroit I told you guys about. Um, I've been recommending it to people left and right all across the country, to be honest. A couple friends in different spots been recommending it. My buddy is in New York, and he's going up to visit his family a little bit for the summer. And he and his dad are already mapping out where they, what they're going to go see uh, in terms of Mets games with SeatGeek. Honestly, it's the only place I use now. I used to use other places, I'll freely admit. The one that frequently gets mentioned here, StubHub. Stopped using it. It's not It's not necessary at this point because uh, SeatGeek's taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Now, I remember when MLB.com first got this for their stadiums, and it was awesome. But I would, you know, be on the StubHub app or something, and then I'd have I buy the ticket or look at a section, then I go to the MLB site and have to kind of, you know, use their stadium view. Now it's all it's all in one with SeatGeek, and the grading is just color coding. So if you know a stoplight, green means go, red means halt. So if you see a red one in the section you want, maybe relax and try to find a green one because those are going to be the better price tickets uh, for their value. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you at the end with huge fees. Now, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get that $20 rebate, all you have to do is download the free SeatGeek app, go to Settings, and click Add Promo Code. Enter the promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It's really easy. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. It is Wednesday, June 29th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going? Good, good, good. It's, punch it up. We're going to punch it up. We're going we're gonna to power through the doldrums. It, it, it's about that time, right? You and I, <laughs> we put ourselves up against anybody as baseball diehards. We'll watch any game. We can have at least a, a snap, educated thought on just about any player in the game. We go as deep as it gets, and yet... Even for us, there's a period where it's like, I probably don't need to watch L.A. versus Oakland tonight. I can I can probably <laughs> get away with not doing that. Maybe I should try some Veep or some Last Week Tonight or, 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 or see what's up on Netflix. And that's that's this period. It's funny that you because you mentioned it absent, you know, uh, just independently. And I said, wow, cannot believe that you mentioned it today specifically because it just hit me this week. It just hit me this week. There are a couple nights already this week where I'm like, eh, 
I, I don't really need to watch this West Coast game. I'd rather watch four episodes of 30 Rock and fall asleep. <laughs> and, and so that's what I did. It's a long season. It's a long man. season, right? And, and, you know, it it can never fully equate, obviously. I'm not suggesting it can't. But it gives you a better appreciation for what the players go through, especially you, because, you know, you're going into the clubhouse. You're, you're, you're putting a lot of that grind work in, too. And imagine having to be the, the physical part of it as well for six yeah. months. Yeah. And we're yeah. not even, you know. Well, you know, the fun thing about it, though, is that there's there are, there are like we talked about this a little bit, too, is that there are things in place to wake us up. Absolutely, you know, and they're coming up. Like we're getting to the ho- the halfway point, the All Star break. That's the time to say, hey, you know, is this team? What is going on with this team? Especially dynasty teams. Is this time get ahead of the the sellers in your league and sell if it is time? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. decide. Uh, are you buyer or seller? You know, if you got multiple teams, you can start to see. Okay, this one's probably a losing team. I'll just keep it active. I'll I'll, I'll buy guys for for dl replacements but i'm not going hard on it you see these other two teams are turning into contenders so you start looking for trades you get trades, yeah. you get the little reprieve at the all-star focus, break focus your attention on fewer teams exactly. in, uh, in in redraft leagues where you still have a chance make sure you you start thinking about trades give up on on players that uh that haven't been doing it or you know been fighting through injury or whatever just just uh, move on and, uh, and and goose yourself that way, and then the final goose for the for the year is the trade deadline. Trade deadline when there's, which that's the only reason to save any FAAB at this point is if you think uh, a big deal a player is going to move spots and you're an AL only or something. Yeah, but those those two things I think are perfectly placed where you know there's just enough of that to kind of wake you up and and keep you going. And not so. only that, you know, I, I thought last year's home run derby was amazing. So even when we're getting the break. You can still get a little baseball fill with something that is enjoyable. I, I can kind of take it or leave it with the All-Star game itself. I'll have it on 100%, um, but I won't be you know completely locked in. Home Run Derby's fun. So we'll, we'll get you through the doldrums for sure. we got plenty of good players to talk about today. The futures game is my big deal. I'm, I'm going to be down there just, uh, just for people who are in San Diego and listening right now. What up? You guys drink really good beer. <laughs> um, but also, uh, I'm planning a meetup trying to coordinate with Jonah Carey because he's doing a screening of the movie Spaceman with Josh Duhamel. Oh, yeah, 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 about um, Bill Spaceman Lee? Yeah, and I, I'm i not sure who's exactly going to be there, but there's a Q&A after the film. So it's like an hour and a half film. So it's like going to be something like the Futures Game plus an hour and a half film plus 15 minutes Q&A and then a meetup. Um, so basically if you are into prospects and, uh, Bill Spaceman Lee, which, uh, you know, I think you should be on some level, uh, then you could just have a whole day of, make a whole day of Speaking it. Speaking of the futures game, we will do a segment on, um, on Friday perhaps, or, or next week. One, one of the, one of the next three episodes after this one of ours, you, mine and yours, will have some some detailed focus here on guys to watch, maybe guys who can make a second half second half impact. I love the futures game. It's something I've been watching for years now. You guys know that my my bandwidth kind of stops at double A in terms of having a good idea of some of these guys. So I love even when they've got the younger guys like a Phil Bickford, who's a, a high class A sort of guy, get a chance to get a look at somebody like that. Uh, there were some other, you know, kind of lower level guys. That was just one that jumped out at me because I remember he was a high pick. Oh, remember? Um, 
am I wrong or was Travis Demerit not one of your guys uh, a few years back and then he got popped for uh, for a suspension? In fact, he's back on that team. Yeah, so he, he's on, he's on. He's on my my big old you know twenty team forty five man roster team again. Well, nobody picked him up in the interim. I can forgive. Oh, absolutely. So can I. We, we, are, <laughs> we are forgiving. You know, we, we acknowledge it's cheating and and that you you shouldn't do it, but. I can I can forgive that I, I really can't. But, but did he stop because he's got a three fifteen ISO and twenty homers and three hundred plate appearances. So maybe he just got better stuff. Just gonna sign back up for that. Just got... anyway. You could do a little bit of a, a before and after too with the prospects with the futures game because that's actually the whole reason I'm going down to San Diego is I get decent access with those guys. So That'll be we could great. talk about who to watch and who to think about before the game and then and after the went. game check back in and say, well, I talked to him about this and I talked to him about this. That'll be so. perfect. Yeah, so if you're your prospect hound, look forward to that. Today it's all major leaguers. Well, not not the first one yet. I'm already lying because our first guy is actually Yulieski Gurriel. Uh, he's starting to work out for some clubs. What do you know on that front? And and is this an impact player this year? If he, if he goes, you know, the latest was working out for the Astros. If he goes, signs somewhere with like the Astros, the Dodgers or the Mets, those are the three teams that he's been rumored with. He's a 32-year-old. Can he come up? Can he come up and be ready to to perform for us in the second half? I don't think I'd worry too much about it. Okay. I think that he's probably a platoon hitter from the right side, and um, <clears throat> I'm not sure where that fits the best. And also, uh, you know, Sandy Allison said that he probably will need a couple more weeks at least uh, to, to be ready for game shape. If you think about it, some of these guys come over from Cuba and have to go through a regimen of eating and working out to sort of, you know, even the ones that are more major league ready have had to go through a process. So I think to think that he's going to be an impact player in the second half of this year, I think is a little bit over the top. He's 32 years old. This is not the other Gurriel Lords, which is his younger, uh, the, the one that everyone's like super excited about. I don't think it's his son, is it? No, it's his brother. Okay, good. I think they're only, like, uh, they're, but they're like eight years apart. They are, there is substantial yeah. age difference there. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Ulyaski's thirty-two. Uh, you know his his adjusted stats, like his uh, Davenport translations for for his last couple of years in Cuba, are not good, um, and I think that's being very nice actually. Let me see. I'm I'm gonna look. I'm gonna I'm gonna cherry pick here and look for the nicest number on this page that I can find and it oh Jesus it is I mean uh, other than going back to like 2006 when he was uh, you know a spry 22 year old <laughs> that's some time ago remember no. remember when saying back in 2006 didn't feel like it was a like, decade ago <laughs> like it was a freaking decade ago yeah yeah that was in 2006 that was just a little while ago Actually, that was quite a while ago now. So, you know, in his last in his last three, four years, the best line I can come up with is 226, 275, 274. Yeesh. What the crap? I don't even know why anybody's into him. That's garbage. Even with his, even non-adjusted, like even raw numbers in Cuba, his last two years, he's basically hit 260 with sub 400 slugging. The, and you're talking about the translation of his numbers. Yeah, that was the translation. The first number was the translation. Yeah, yeah. His actual numbers in Cuba were 260, like 320, 360. That's still pretty bad. I mean, that's 
he had one homer and 230 plate appearances in the in the last in the last year and a half. Wait, wait, wait. This is Yulieski we're talking about, or awards? Yeah. Yulieski. I'm looking at something different here, so you're gonna have to help me. What, That's interesting. Where are you seeing those low I'm numbers on the for him? Played Davenport's site, and I see that you've chatted me something. Me... I, I'm chatting you his baseball reference here. We're peeling the curtain back, y'all. Yeah, it's, this is live. This is happening. You have it's a, happening. Uh, a, a numbers. No, no, no. Oh, that's a little different. Because I'm seeing, I'm seeing good numbers, and I thought you were just saying that they don't translate terribly well. No, look at, see, look, they're different actually. So the uh, this is not, this is real stats supposedly taken from Cuba. Uh, you see that 2014 year in Cuba, or 2013 year. Let's just do that one. We can see it. Industrialis. Mm-hmm. Uh, baseball reference says he hit 313, 425, 566. Yeah, not bad. Clay Davenport says he hit real stats 229, 316, 274. Hmm. That, there's a pretty sharp disparity there. So I got to imagine, I, I don't know. I, honestly, I'm at a loss. With the, with the Cuba guys, I try to always rely on uh, other, That's amazing, other folks actually. who study that. Maybe we can... These numbers are like way, way, way different. Yeah, there, there, there's some, there's some dispute there on Yulieski Guriel's numbers between what we're seeing on the two different sites. Wow. But either way. Well, anyway, I think he's 32 and right-handed, so you have to, you have to look at what team. You know, I think that whoever buys him will know that he's 32. Sure. And know that you know he's, you know, not a guarantee because he, you know, you're, you're way down the ugly tree. When uh, when you're de- dealing with a 32 year old from Cuba, you know what I'm saying? It's well, like considering what we've already you know, you're dealing with Yasiel Puig in this situation. Exactly. You know? Like at this point, we're we're past the point where every guy that comes over we should be excited about, right? right yeah, that exactly. first, second, third wave has all been kind of picked over. There's there's going to be certain guys still. That Lazarito guy was was really hyped. As we're talking about, Guriel's brother is still going to be pretty hyped. But this is a 32 year old veteran who's kind of done his thing. He could come over. I could see him maybe being like a 750 OPS kind of guy with some punch. Uh, that's what I'm gathering from these numbers and maybe even a couple couple steals, but nothing crazy. Um, so if you are in it... I think, he'll be, I think he'll be the wrong side of platoon and he'll sign with the Astros because they've got... they've got The most recent thing is... I know it's a stupid Instagram picture of him with the Astros hat, but you know when he worked out with the Mets, there was no Instagram picture of the Mets hat. Boom, eat it. Mets. And... Uh, also, the Mets have have already spent a, not a lot. You know, I think it's major league minimum. But they went and got um, Jose Reyes, who's a switch hitter. Mm-hmm. So the, it's not an obvious uh, fit. Whereas the Astros have Luis Valbuena, who you know is, is fine against uh, righties and has you know basically been sat against lefties his whole career. So you could bring in um, you could bring in Guriel and, and say. You know, soft landing. Here you go. You're gonna take platoons at bats, and then if if you're better, then you're better. And you know, there's still some opening at first. Even you know, it's not like Reed uh, hit the ground. Uh, yeah, you it's know. like he's. I mean, we need we need more time with Reed, but there's a path. Man, I'm, not calling, I'm not calling Reed a bust, but like you know, they're trying to win now. They're they they've got something going right now. The Astros and and uh, you know they they have enough options with Reed that they can send it back down and. And, and say, well, that was nice, but we picked up this Guriel guy, and we're going to do Guriel, Valbuena, and Marwin. 
uh, at first and third, and we're going to see what happens for the next couple of weeks. And if we fall back out of it, you'll come right back up. Absolutely. So, absolutely. So uh, that's that's. I think that's the most likely. Turner, you know, Turner's pretty decent. Justin Turner in in uh, L.A. He's been popping. Uh, he's been hitting a lot of homers lately too. The power's been really up uh, for the yeah, last and- month. <clears throat> Yeah, I thought I, you know, it's I thought it was uh, that it was totally possible that he that he would turn it back on. And then on top of that, I know that these are guys are really smart and they're trying to avoid recency bias and not thinking about what's happened recently. But they they have you know two of the last three major Cuban busts on their team. So that's true. I'm um, sure that they're you know Arab- Russian. Arabuena, Arizbel. Uh, Ariz- yeah. What's what's the first name? Arizbel. Arizbel. Arabuena. Yeah. I think I got that last name right. I totally botched that first name. And then, of course, Alex Correa. Oh, yeah. Turner, Turner is like 10% above league average now, projected to be 20% above league average. Well, yeah, because he got off to a slow start. It probably could have been the knee. He had microfracture surgery. And so if yeah. you give him a little it's bit a of a break for the, for the early work, you're looking at somebody like Justin Turner, who's been raking this month, even pushing back a little bit into, uh, into May. His last 28 days for Justin Turner, eight bombs, 973 OPS. If he's healthy... And, and and the knee isn't impacting him. That's a that's an impact bat for sure. And so I, I wouldn't even go too much off of his first two months there. And I think we're getting Justin Turner back as 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 a as a quality guy. So we'll keep an eye on Gurriel. We'll keep an eye on those rumors. There's gonna be a lot of rumor stuff in the coming weeks. Obviously, as we approach the trade deadline. Obviously, this is a signing, but we do have a trade one, and it is with the Dodgers. So it's it's good that we're kind of talking about them a little bit. Ken Rosenthal reporting that they're actually taking a peek at Erasmo Ramirez. And first thing I asked you was, do you think he would start? And, well, of course he would, and uh, probably a dumb question because, as you pointed out, they purposely started Nick Tepish. So <laughs> they're a contending team that picked him up from another squad and purposely started him. So I think that they would go ahead and, and thrust Erasmo Ramirez right into their rotation. That would be good. They've been using him as a swingman mostly this year in um, – in Tampa Bay, actually, as, pretty much as a full-time reliever. He only has the one start. Last year, he was in that swingman role, and once he got going in the rotation, Erasmo Ramirez was one of the better pitchers coming down the stretch. You look at it from May 14th on, when he joined the rotation, he had 25 starts, 313 ERA with a uh, in a 144 innings with 110 strikeouts. It's not eye-popping, but it's, it's, it's solid enough, and a 108 whip. So there was some good work being done by Erasmo Ramirez. I, I've always liked this guy. He, um, Jason's always been a big backer of of Erasmo. How do you think Erasmo would fit with the Dodgers? I think you know. I think uh, you know. So Brock Stewart is starting today against Milwaukee. Who the hell's that? And, yeah, and he's not. He's not a name that people can think of uh, off the top of their heads. Hasn't made many lists. Hasn't made any lists. But you know, this year dominating this year. Yeah, his up to strikeout rate always had decent command, and uh, what doesn't show up on these pages so easily is that he's uh, now sitting 93, which is uh, up a tick or two, and he can hit 96. Right, so that, that plays. And it looks like he, you know, just from judging from his strikeout rates, now that I've seen him a lot, it looks like he has stuff to get to get some swings and misses too. So. You know, Brock Stewart uh, could be lightning in a bottle for them, and maybe then Erasmo is a reliever. But the attrition on the Dodgers pitching staff Dude, has been amazing. I, basically, when you look at what they've gone through with their with their pitching, my first guess because I did you know I just wasn't sure on on the news or not. I thought that Jonah Carey 
Jonah Carey had become their pitching coach. <laughs> I, I, I botched he it. He has the legendary my... Jonah Carey hex. And, uh, yeah, he probably did write a piece about the Dodgers staff being deep or whatever. Yeah, I, but I mean, it was so There's... bad, though, I thought he was on the staff. Because just his writing <laughs> alone can't usually have this impact. He had to be. He had to be embedded. Maybe he had a dinner with with Gabe Kapler or something. They shook hands. Gabe Kapler went to a a, a meeting with the pitchers. Maybe then touched them, and it was game over because they've got so many injuries. And they were supposed to be. It was going to be Kershaw and kind of this group of of guys that were solid, I mean, like, not spectacular, but they had so many. Yeah. It should work. It hasn't really worked. My eight has been good. Uh, Urias has, has actually gotten on track since his first two starts, but he's really like a five inning guy right now. Casimir has not been that good. He's sitting with a 467. It's, it's, he's been passable lately, but then Wood's been hurt. Uh, Ross Stripling didn't really last. Bolsinger has been bad. Yimmy Garcia, uh, that's actually a, a, a reliever, but um, Brandon McCarthy hasn't come back. Who else am I thinking of? They've had guys that are supposed to well, come so, back. Yeah, oh, Woods. Rue. Yeah, he's the closest. Supposedly he's doing um, rehab starts. So is McCarthy. So, you know, you could get McCarthy and Ryu back. And then you, if Kershaw's back isn't a big deal, you'd have Kershaw, Kazmir, Maeda, McCarthy, Ryu. Now you're talking. And then uh, Erasmo would be, uh, you'd probably send your ass down. Well, that's why Erasmo's a good scoop because you can get him. Maybe you start him right when you get him as as McCarthy and, and Ryu kind of get back into the swing. And then if, if they stay healthy and they look like themselves, you can put Erasmo right back into the bullpen, and there's no problem. So it's good to have a so flexible it's hard, guy. And like it's that. hard to get out in front of this because of because of that rotation. What if Brock Stewart, you know, lights it up, and they say, "Oh, you know what? You know, we're gonna we're gonna uh, you know tap the brakes on Ryu, and we don't necessarily need Erasmo, and you know, then he stays in in Tampa. I don't really know why Tampa's not considering starting him. Um, unless they just they just see something that we don't, and I guess you got Archer, Ritzy, Smiley, Moore, and then Snell is just up for good. I, I think it's the options that they have that they like better, as opposed to anything Erasmo isn't doing. And I believe Kevin Cash really likes him in the bullpen. I don't know that that's that's something that Jason and I talked about early in the year that they were going to use some, him to bridge they had the some gap. Problems too, you know. It's like everyone's hurt. Yeah, they, so it's they, they have – well, Jonah wrote a whole book on them, so that that explains right. that. <laughs> right. They were just destined to be hurt. For those of you that don't know, Jonah has a, has a thing where, seriously, when he does his like big 2,000-word profile on somebody, it's been clockwork the last couple of years that, that something happens to that guy. He gets his face caved in for eight earned or something or or gets nicked, heads up, heads to the DL. It's 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 been a Jonah carry. It's been a Jonah hex for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, it probably, you know, what, what sucks is that um, Erasmo didn't get a big velo bump going to the pen and um, has lost some swing strikes for some reason, and the homers have come back. So, you know, there, there, you know, there are reasons to believe that he's not much, very much better than his projections. However, his projections would change if he came to the, Amer- to the National League, and he'd become, I think, sort of like 18-team NL-only type uh, uh, arm. 18-team. Comma, NL yes. only. Yes, I made that mistake last week, and someone said 18 team AL only. There's none of those. Oh no, there's lots. No, I'm kidding. There's, there's. Lots of those. <laughs> I wouldn't even play that. Yeah. I have my limits, y'all. 
That would be crazy. All right, let's talk one more little bit of news, and actually it'll kind of take us into our, our, our player deep dives here because the guy could be a replacement for Lorenzo Cain, who's hitting the DL uh, with, I think, a hamstring injury. Probably should, probably should know what they're hurt with, Paul. Hamstring. Yeah, ha- left hamstring is- strain for Lorenzo Cain. They're going to call it Brett Eidrin. That's not who we really want to talk about. First off, quick thought on Cain. What do you think to his follow-up year so far from the uh, from the breakout last year? I think a lot of folks saw that uh, or figured that he would fall off. Others thought he'd go the other way. Jason and I were in the latter camp. We kind of thought that he'd get better or stay equally as good. He's come back to the pack a bit with a 752 OPS. Just looks more like 2014, which was a good, not great player. Um, what do you think of Lorenzo Cain? Yeah, I sold high on him. I only had a share or two, and I sold him. I, I just thought that the power would come back to earth, mm-hmm. and uh, the strikeout rate you know, every other year has been higher than it was last year. So wasn't too surprised to see that strikeout rate go back up. And then uh, I thought something like this was coming. He's just been hurt a lot. See, that's last what, year was the first time he had 600 plate appearances. That was always so. my concern was the health. Yeah. Was that We're talking about a 30-year-old. So even though I like the skills a lot, I'm just like, well, and he also plays incredible defense, kind of all-out defense that can leave him susceptible to even more injuries. I don't know if this was, uh, you know, if this injury occurred during defense, but either way, that was my concern, even as I was investing in Kane. So we got a couple shares, you know, and I or Jason and I got him in the uh, in the labor mixed. Uh, well, you know, the share. floor was the floor was pretty high, so you know there are picks like that where. You know, your range of variance isn't so high. So at least you can say, oh, you know. Uh, at least he's going to run and he's not going to be an empty power. Although he only does, he only yeah. has six stolen bases this year. That's been kind of an issue. He's only six for ten. Uh, but yeah, the hammy's been bothering him. That's the thing. And and so, you know, it, it, it's been all right, though. I, I don't look at his 290 average with eight bombs and six stolen bases to this point and say, that's cost me my season, even as a yeah. even as a higher pick. That's not costing you. Right. So, so, all right. What about Max Kepler as a potential replacement? This is a guy that I feel like uh, you've been on for, for a little while, kind of dating back to to his prospect days. I don't know if it's the German ties uh, that have <laughs> piqued your interest with, with Kepler, but he, you kind of put him on my radar a bit. I knew he was a prospect. But you and I talking, I think last year, early sometime, really kind of brought him into focus for me. He's up now. He's playing. What do you think of Max Kepler as a as a replacement the rest of the year for for an injured outfielder that you might have like a Lorenzo Cain? Yeah, I always liked Kepler as a guy with great plate discipline that had the opportunity to do more because he had he's actually, you know, even though he's white and German, he's toolsy. Okay, he's toolsy. I don't know if he's dripping with tools, but he's toolsy. He has a tool belt and it has some tools <laughs> in it. That's what you say for white people. Yes, he's got a tool belt. He wears a hammer and a screwdriver. <laughs> but he's, 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 he's like a son of a ballet dancer uh, who was raised in Texas and moved to Germany um, and somehow did not choose soccer. <laughs> so uh, we get to, to reap the benefits of that, the choice. And what happened recently in 2015 when he got to double A was he finally tapped into that power better. Mm-hmm. And he just had one of those lines that makes me a little bit moist <laughs> where he did the 300, 400, 500 thing. It's so sexy, isn't it? And also walked more than he struck out and didn't strike out a lot. So 
that 13, you know, 13%, 14% walk rate, 13% strikeout rate. I love that. In his last two weeks, he's getting there for you. He's, he's, he's revving you up with a 324, 395, 595, couple bombs, couple stolen bases. Max Kepler looking like a player uh, a lot more these last couple of weeks. Honestly, even his bottom line at a 760. Uh, OPS has not been too bad through 110 plate appearances. Small samples, of course, but does this look, I, look like somebody who can who can play the full year, the, play the string out with with Minnesota as long as he doesn't go into some colossal slump? Yeah, I mean nobody nobody on that team has a job. Oh, I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know I, I, nobody on that team has a job. Edson Stone is a, a nicer way of saying that nobody's good, but. Uh, uh, what I see out of him is a good baseline that makes him hard to demote to because of his ability to take a walk. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's almost on that team who is taking a walk other than Sano when he gets back. So and Maurer, I guess. But you know, the, there was a dearth of walks for a while, especially when they were playing Eddie Rosario and uh, some of these other guys. So um, you know, I do like that. Um, I, I do like that he's walking. He's not striking out too much, and then his swing strike rate, I think, suggests that he could actually, and his minor league strikeout rate, they both suggest that he could strike out less. So the projections have him striking out less. Having established a double-digit walk rate and having done that since the beginning of 2015 and having in the low minors a double-digit walk rate, I'll take the over on his projected walk rate and his projected OBP. Yeah, they got him at about 8%, which is average. Right, so if you you bump him... If you bump him to 10%, and of course they do that because he's a rookie with you know 110 flight absolutely, appearances. Absolutely, we get games. it, but we don't always have to agree with it. Right, exactly. So I'll give him a 10% walk rate going forward. That makes him more, even if you just take his baseline projections right now and add that those walks in, that makes him more of like a 325 OBP, uh, 420 slugging. That's basically what he's doing right now. So I think what he's doing right now, super sustainable, is going to keep him in the lineup. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a little bit of play beyond that. I mean, if he cuts the strikeout rate and he, you know, the, the power's there, and if he just, if he starts getting more comfortable, like we talk a lot about stolen bases, if he t- gets more comfortable with taking off, then um, then I think then he could uh, he could see something there. But, you know, okay, so Sonoa's coming back, mm-hmm. and the, the problem with him is that he looks like a DH in the field. Kepler does, or Sonoa. No. Sano does. Sano definitely Kepler's, does. Kepler yeah. has to, some of that athleticism. That okay, I was worried that you. I thought you were going to say that about Kepler. I was like, oh dang, because uh, they got some DH types. Okay, so Sano should probably be. He like hurt himself, like you know, lunging at a at a fly ball situation. So he looks big out there. Sano does in the outfield. He is really big too. Just standing next to him, pretty pretty intimidating. Uh, but <clears throat> anyway, so we've got um, Sano coming back, and he's supposedly a right fielder. Uh, with Max Kepler, but Robbie Grossman, as much as I like him, you know the projection for him: two forty, three thirty-four, three fifty-seven. Not very exciting. The, Kepler is going to beat that projection. Kepler is going to push him around a little bit in terms of playing time. Hey, Byron Buxton is not playing that well. That's what I was going to say. Let's let's just be real. And then there's there's always Byung-ho Park. I mean, there's always they don't seem to want to put Miguel Sano in DH, but there's always Byung-Ho Park. The rumors are that Byung-Ho Park might go down. Sure. So, um, you know, just an aside real quick, 12-team AL only is so hard. Yo. I don't know how anybody ever wins those things. Because I just hit pay dirt with 
I thought, you know, in 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 my league, I had um, Young Ho Park. I thought, hey, I got a, an actual Twins first baseman for fifteen bucks. I'm doing good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had Kepler in the reserve round. I'm like, hey, this is happening, you know. Um, it's all coming up, you know. And then Young Ho Kim, who we who we'd been we've been touting Wait, on Young Su Kim, you mean? I mean, sorry, yeah. We mix, sorry, mix them, mix some players. Yeah, I just got a little turned around in there. Uh, yeah, he's so, coming around so, big time. Yeah, Kim is is looks like a starter now. So I was like, hey, hey, here we go. I'm up to sixth place. I'm coming. Watch out. And now, of course, the rumor is that you know, if I get Kepler, I lose Park probably. Exactly. <laughs> you're basically you're taking playing time from yourself. Although you we glossed. I mean, you didn't gloss over it. You you mentioned it, but I want to highlight the numbers here. I, I'm still not going to be burying Buxton in a long-term situation, but he went down, put up some big numbers, what apparently added or, or ditched a leg kick. There was something leg kick oriented uh, that was discussed about about Buxton. Brought it back. He it, used to have it. To, it hasn't done got shit. Rid of it. It's he not, brought it back on the demotion. It's not... 573 it's not OPS in 90 plate appearances. And I think he... I mean, honestly, I don't know how much more Byung-Ho Park is going to learn from going down. I think that I would... Uh, that that Byron Buxton might learn more from I, going I down. I completely agree. I think Young Park's Park actually been at least I don't hitting know. the ball hard, and he's an older dude. I mean, what you, you're going to send him back down there, and he's going to see people that look like they did in, in, in Korea, basically, and he's just going to destroy them. He's a 29-year-old man. If you're trying to get confidence, maybe, but I, that's nebulous. I don't even really buy that. I, I completely agree that Park – I know he's hitting 191. It's It's brutal. But when you can hit 191 and still only be at 80 OPS plus, like that tells you that yeah. the you're still doing something Power's good, yeah. right there with the pops. So I, I, w- I would rather they keep him up and, and go ahead and put Buxton down again and maybe just let him ride out the season because the back and forth got to be wearing on him a little bit. It, it, again, I'm not ready to bury a 22-year-old with, with that kind of pedigree after 277 plate appearances. But at the same time, I can be honest about what we're seeing, and it's been terrible. He's got yeah, and I and I and I had that piece a while back, and people yelled at me for it. Uh, but I had a piece that said it was basically up there with Brandon Wood as the one of the worst, <clears throat> one of the worst starts of all time. And he said that Cam Maben was kind of an upside situation. Yeah, Cam Maben didn't have as bad of a, a debut as as Byron Buxton, but I still see enough Cam, Cam Maben in Buxton where it might just take a little bit of time for him to start making enough contact to take advantage of those tools, but. You know, Cam Maben has made it this far with a lot of the same skill set. Absolutely. So, you know, we're not burying Buxton yet, but as you highlighted, it's been bad so far, and he's going to have to turn it around. He needs to improve. We can't just go on the on the big, shiny prospect lists. He needs to start performing soon. Um, I want to move on, though. I want to talk about a guy that you recently wrote about. This guy probably – I'm not sure too many players that have, have – you know, run the gamut on, or at least hit each side of the spectrum in terms of <laughs> pleasing their fantasy owners to turning around and, and upsetting them greatly. And that's Aaron Nola, who got off to such a good start that it was it was beyond a start. You know, at some point, late May into June, you start you stop calling it the start to the season. You just say he's having a good season. And after his first start in in June, which was uh, six scoreless against Milwaukee, he had a 2.65 ERA with a boatload of strikeouts, not too many walks. Everything was looking sharp. In fact, in those first 12 starts, he only uh, didn't go six one time. He was going six and seven innings very regularly. Everything was going great. And then, wow, things have changed. 
He's added nearly two full runs to his ERA in the span of four starts. Hasn't gone four innings in any of them. Has only made it into the fourth inning in a couple of them. Uh, a 15-23 ERA in the span of 13 innings. Basically pissing away every bit of good that he did ERA-wise uh, since then. And I'm not sure that even if you were being cautious, maybe you got worried after the Washington one or something. The only one that you might have taken him out for was against Toronto. And I, I doubt it because it was the second of the starts. And he'd been so good. Even after that Washington start, you're still talking about a guy with a 298 ERA. That was his first really bad start of the season at Washington. So you're probably just like, nah, I know it's Toronto. I know somebody asked me before, like, do you start him there? I said, yeah, you know, he's been good. It is Toronto, but they're not killing it. By the way, they've been killing it pretty much since then. Uh, it's been brutal, Eno. What did you find when you wrote about Aaron Nola, who's in the midst of this horrific slump? Something to worry about or just a, 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 a tough lull as the doldrums hit him as well? You know, there's a, a bit of uh, there, there's something mechanical a little bit where he's lost a little bit of movement on his curveball and his sinker, and it's it's horizontal movement. And the the hard thing that's the, the thing that's hard about it is that depending on how you slice the information, it looks worse or it looks better. So like I, what I, the way I sliced it was I took you know, all of the season before the last four starts. And I said, you know, what, what was his curveball movement then? And then what's it been the last four starts? And I did the same for both. And it, it turned out to be about a half inch, which I do think is somewhat relevant to what's going on. There's a little bit less movement, but there were other people who sliced it differently in the comments and it wanted to know, well, he used to get, you know, 11 plus inches of run on his curveball and his last start, he only got nine. So, they they see it as a, a as a bigger thing, but I think you know game to game sometimes these things happen, and he's been better than nine recently, and you know some of the eleven and twelve numbers were basically the peak numbers mm -hmm. in terms of movement. So <clears throat> there is there is a softening of movement, and that's one thing. But I think way worse than that is that he's throwing the sinker down Broad Street. So, I mean, if you look at the heat map, it's just really compelling. He used to throw the sinker on the outside corner to lefties, and that's when they hit 260 on balls in play against him. And now he's throwing the sinker down the middle of the strike zone, and they're hitting 460. So you're, talking, you're telling me that MLB hitters prefer when the ball is thrown right down. <laughs> yeah. So Nola needs to... has a little bit less movement, even better. Exactly. Take off some of the movement that you had that was making it a wicked pitch and throw it down the middle. We like that. So what <laughs> people people went too far. I will say this. People went too far. They were saying Brian Lawrence and Vance Worley. I'm sorry. I saw the I saw the uh, I saw both of those in the comments. That's not that is not what's going on here because first of all, uh, his swing strike rate is above average. Second of all, he has an elite curve. Then people were like, well, it's not as elite as it was. Yes, it's down. The whiff rate is down on the pitch to like about 16%. Guess what? That's still way above average. And I have supreme confidence in him because he got this far on command. Absolutely. You know? that was, that's so, Nola's calling card coming in. And then now he's added these strikeouts, and I'm starting to buy into – like I was worried about the strikeouts coming in because he's got this called strike thing. He's not a huge swinging strike rate guy. What can you tell us about that, by the way? Is that something that's, that's uh, sticky well, for not, him specifically? Well, what, what you're going to – what's happening, I think, is that 
I do think that the 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 ability to get batters to swing is very important. And so maybe at some point, because you, you actually look at batter swing rates, and the batter swing rates have gone down a little bit in the last five games. And this is something that we've seen with Dallas Keuchel. So I think that we're right to be a little bit nervous about called strikes versus swing strikes because the called strikes sort of, you know, goes hand in hand with swings, right? The call strikes, you're, you want them not to swing. And the swing strike, you want them to swing. And if they stop swinging, then you don't get as many swing strikes on balls outside the zone, right? Mm-hmm. So now he has to come into the zone, and maybe that's why he's throwing it down Broad Street. But now they start swinging again, and they can wallop it. But if he gets them swinging again, then he can go back outside if he has the good command. So, you know, I think that I think it's just part of the ebb and flow of a season. And I know it, it looks drastic. Because and it's, it's all in to, one cluster. Yeah, and it's easy to start to think that, oh, yeah, he's hurt and all this. I think, you know, you, if, it's, if, it's, if it's not a reaction to swing, don't swing, and he's just for some reason throwing it down the middle, then he could just as easily move on the rubber and, and move that, that thing out of the middle and back onto the corner. Uh, if it's a question of movement, then and a question of a half inch in his release point, then you can look at video. These are and I'm not I'm not saying something that's like crazy. This is what they do. This is what he's Absolutely. doing with his pitching coach right now. He's, he's looking changes. at videos himself. He's looking to see if his release point has changed. He's looking to see why they're swinging, why they're not swinging. He's looking at his heat maps, and he's he's going to decide. Well, maybe I'm going to move on the rubber. Or maybe I'm going to uh, you know change my release point a little bit, or maybe I'm going to do this. So I think he's going to find a, a thing because what I like about him is that he's not just a, a command guy, you know, that needs – he's not Phil Hughes. Thank you. I, I was Hughes, trying to think of the name I could say that that, that crystallizes it perfectly. Aaron Nola is not really Phil good Hughes. Command. Yeah, Phil Hughes is a very good command. He has nothing else. He had maybe a little bit of rising fastball, but Nola has the rising fastball plus a really good curveball, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, in terms of his, it's not a rising fastball, he's a, the, a sinking fastball. But in, in any case, uh, Nola has a really good sinker and a really good curveball. And the change is, I think, pretty good too. So, you know, in sum, um, he's a good pitcher. And it's not just command. It's, it's command and stuff. And yeah, maybe he lives in a different he lives in a different world at ninety and ninety one, because when things go wrong, you know they love him at ninety and ninety one. Sure. Um, so maybe you know maybe the variance is going to be higher. You go out and buy but right I'm now. Buying. I'm buying. It's ugly. So you, yeah, I think a discount is in order right now. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I'm buying. I think you I'm can buying. actually I'm, buy low on Nola. He's white. He's on waivers. Oh yeah, uh, it's, in mixed he leagues, he's hitting the wire for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on then and talk about Devon Travis, who's you know been hitting pretty well, like kind of kind of settling in. Got a season started a little bit late. I know a lot of folks were relying on him. They kind of knew that the injury was going to take a little while to get a season started, but they wanted to wait because they saw him as a high quality second baseman. I wasn't sure. I was actually a little bit skeptical on the pop. And and so far through through his first month here, he's played 29 games. I've been wrong on that for sure because he's got a a 210-ish ISO, which is uh, even better than I think he had last year. I think he was closer to 195 last year, so a, a couple ticks better. Five home runs already in these 29 games, you know, uh, 288 average, and he's he's 
I don't know if he's part of well, obviously he's part of it. I don't know if he's the catalyst for it. I, I wouldn't put that on just one guy. But that offense is starting to click too. So he's joined the Blue Jays offense at the perfect time to kind of take advantage from a runs and RBI standpoint. What do you think of Devon Travis as it relates to the second base pool? I like him. I think, uh, you know, as much as we, we can't really look too hard at ISO and home runs right now because he's in a smaller sample than everybody else, but he's still in a decent-ish sample to be able to talk about. I mean, it's already 100 balls in play for him. Um, yeah, 100 balls in play. And that's enough to start to say things like um, uh, the, the fact that his pull center oppo split like last year is very nice. It's he's he's an opposite field hitter, but he pulls it a, a little bit too. He's not an extreme guy in any may, in any way. Although you know, closer to the oppo end, uh, he's added more fly balls this year, which is great. Now the oppo fly ball though sometimes can be a can of corn. Absolutely. So you know he's got to be a little bit careful. Hopefully he's pulling those fly balls and oppoing those ground balls. But you look at that babbit, you look at his babbit last year. And you start to see a guy that, you know, has some punch but also sprays the ball around and uh, should maybe do better than his projections, which always want him to hit 270. Um, and I'm not I'm not sure he's a 270 hitter. I think he's a, he's a little bit better than that. But is so. he better than Anthony Ghost? And I would say the jury's out. No, I'm just kidding. I'm a Tigers fan. Um, he's way better than Anthony Ghost. And I'm going to go cry now. Well, you know, he's the the problem was he's short, I guess, and people didn't know if they should believe the power from a short guy. Sure. But you know, I think once you start to see like minor league numbers and major league numbers that show that the guy has power, I think a lot of that height and weight stuff goes out the door. I think you know it makes sense to draft a tall pitcher who's 16 years old and say, you know what, he's going to grow into his body much more. Yes. And then the short pitcher, but a 23 year old who's shorter, who keeps doing it at some point, you have to be like, okay, he's, he's come beyond his, his height. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, Travis is even 25. At this point you should start talking about Pedroia and Mookie Betts and other guys, you know, Altuve who found, you know, great power, you know, all, you know, hitting is really about leverage and, you know, yes, it's easier to create leverage, um, when it comes to, you know, longer uh, limbs and stuff, and long lever, le- long levers, as, as as Carson always talks about, but you can also get more bat speed with a with a more compact swing. So you know there is there are some advantages. The same thing with pitching. You think okay, well the guy comes over the top, he's got much more angles to the plate. Uh, he's going to be real tall. You know he's going to release it out more in front. Well, the releasing out more in front, you're not a Ventura. You can't hasn't figured that out, and he's taller than some guys who have who have better extension than him. Mm-hmm. So releasing a ball out in front, in front of the plate, you know, you can manipulate that with your slide, with your with your uh, stride. You can manipulate it with other ways, and you can have really good core strength and be you know quick around your body like Strowman and just really beef up. And there's ways to to get around it. So once the guy I think has demonstrated something in the major leagues, I I throw height and weight out out for the most part. So uh, we, we're we're pro. Devon Travis, if you held on to him, you, you done did well. Congratulations, man, because I, I wasn't always pro because I was worried. Yeah, same. Like a, 
they put like a screw in that shoulder. No, it it was nerve wracking. Like I said, I, I was I was saying I'm not trying to draft him. I'm not waiting on him, etc. And yeah. I'm coming around, not based on just the 29 games, but looking at him as a whole, 357 plate appearances. Like you said, he's starting to put something down on paper now. I don't think this is necessarily a fluke. Maybe he's not a a, a 24 home run hitter, which is kind of what his his current numbers would pace out to if you if you pushed him to a full season. But if he can be hitting 18 with you know seven to ten stolen bases good batting average and then great runs and rbi numbers as part of that team devon travis is a stud second baseman so we like him there um we got one more player to talk about before we dive into rocky's corner okay this is gonna be a segment every episode now for the rest of this podcast (laughs) we're gonna do 40 minutes on rocky's players minimum okay y'all so if you don't like that unsubscribe sound effects oh it's gonna be great it's gonna be great and um we're gonna we're gonna eat weed brownies before we do it just to kind of get to the (laughs) effect of being in denver no i'm just kidding but we weirdly i i guess you know it's kind of interesting because i asked for names and and there were several rockies i said you know what let's just talk about a handful of rockies today including the guy who's on the mound for them but before we get to them we got to revisit michael waka because remember a while ago when he was in his lull he had kind of his aaron nola lull and it really looked like injury. And you checked Jeff Zimmerman's injury factors, and you said the same. You know, we're like, whoa, this does look like injury. It did not look good. And I was worried because he had injury problems, shoulder specifically. In the past, he had three outings where he gave up uh, eight hits, and each of them went four innings in each of them and gave up six, six, and eight runs. Now, in one of those, there were only two earned of the six, so the ERA was a little bit uh, deflated, but – Six, six, and eight. It was bad. It was really bad. However, since then now, we have six starts from Walker. He's had a 352 ERA, 38 innings, 31 strikeouts, uh, 31 hits allowed. It's just been a lot better. Now, that's not jumping off the page at a 352, but it's a hell of a lot better than the 504 ERA that he had uh, leading up to that. So where are we at with Michael Walker right now? Do we feel that it was now just a blip and there aren't as many injury concerns or do you still have worries about Michael Walker's health? It is weird. You know, just uh, May, he was uh, super inconsistent late in the game with his release point. His velocity was down. Uh, you know, his uh, zone percentage was down it and his overall... Bad. His overall release points were all over the place. And then if you look at all those things back again, you know, late game consistency, back fine again. Velocity actually ticking up again. Uh, Zone percentage back up again. Not quite to his baseline, but, you know, back up again. So he's he's having the confidence to, to throw it in the zone. He's, you know, getting his release point better. Ground ball rate back up. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's just one of those things, man. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how, what to say about it. You know, I guess the simplest thing is he was down to like 92 and now he's back up over 94, you know, maybe it was dead arm uh, phase basketball velocity. Yeah. I don't know, man. And it's just, it makes you, you know, you can react and say, Oh, well, that tool is, is nonsense and I'm not going to use it. The problem is that the meat still makes sense. It makes sense for the meat of baseball. It just doesn't um, mean that it's going to make sense every single time. What so. tool are you talking about? 
the baseball heat maps. Oh, yeah, yeah, fun. yeah. To, to, uh, it works in the aggregate. doesn't mean that everybody who goes through it and shows injury indicators is automatically hurt. Where you, and, you don't, yeah, and you don't know exactly also what sort of injury it was. Maybe you know, he was sore in the oblique a little bit from working out too hard, and that calmed down, and now he's good. You know? Yeah, but not, because, not enough to go in the DL, but, but actually right. hurting. Right, because you know, I used the injury finder once on Justin Verlander, and was like, he's injured. And then he came out and said that the core surgery stuff that he'd had was still affecting him. And it was clear. So, and, and, and that was a guy who he pitched the whole season. So he made 32 turns. And too often we assume if a guy's out there, he's healthy. He's 100%. Right. He's good to go. And it's just not always the case. And it's also why when you say, oh, this guy at 80% is better than all these other. They're probably not. At 80%, it's, it might be a major leaguer. And it was. Like, Verlander was still major league worthy in that that 2014 season, but he was not Justin Verlander proper at all. And so, you know, maybe Waka just went through a little something where he's he's ailing, but not not DL worthy, and and he's gotten out of it. So I'm back on board. I'm a, I'm a big Waka fan. I was I was nervous about the injury for sure, but I think we're looking better. I, I'm still not like I wouldn't necessarily go out and buy him a whole bunch because there are still some. Uh, Again, it's not it's not the the best since he's gotten back on track. There's still some hits. He's that... never been a real great strikeout minus walk guy, so you're kind of walking the razor's edge a little bit and and relying on him to have you know a low BABIP and a low home run per nine, you know, based on how his team defends behind him, you know, the kind of shifts they do, you know, the, the fact that can catch in center field. Yeah, that he has an elite changeup that manages to, you know, the changeup itself uh, is on a different level than the rest of his arsenal. So the changeup itself can affect Babbitt. That, that's some stuff that, that that Zimmerman has come out with. I'm not sure that he's actually written it up yet, but he, he did find some preliminary results that suggested that if you have one pitch that's elite, that that can actually help you beat FIP a little bit. I'm still remarkably high on Waka as a long-term play. I can easily see him as like a 27 year old developing into like an, an elite number two maybe some fringe ace seasons here and there i think he's gonna have some great seasons i yeah. mean it's a, just a great place to pitch yep he's got he a deep arsenal it's an elite change up he's developed that curveball and cutter to the point where it fits and you know right now he's throwing 94 um so it's it's basically everything that you would want out of a pitcher Except for, you know, that it seems that sometimes he'll he'll accept the contact, you know. Yeah, and, and I think uh, I think as he kind of learns, Waka's going to realize I can strike a bunch of guys out, and I don't have to be pitch inefficient. I don't necessarily have to run up a big pitch count. So again, long term, still really like him right now this season. If you got him, hang on, but I don't necessarily say go out and immediately buy. Just kind of take it easy with Walker. We'll, maybe we'll revisit again in a month, see where he's at, because it's been kind of a, a, an up and down sort of season. And now it's officially time for Rocky's Corner. Rocky's Corner. We're talking Rocky's about the stupid Rockies. Rocky's Corner. First one up. That was actually really good. We did not. We did not rehearse that, y'all. No, that was. Uh, we did not rehearse that. Um, <laughs> Carlos Estevez is their closer of late, and. That's about the best I can say about him. 
It's not great. Now, the reason I'm bringing him up is because we like to get into these, some of these bullpens every once in a while. I think we do pretty regularly. Uh, you know, once every maybe two weeks, we dive into some of these stickier situations to see what's going on with them because you still, you still got to grind out there for your saves. And when he first got the job, he looked pretty solid. I think he opened, opened uh, being the closer with five scoreless outings. The last couple of outings have been a little bit shaky. He's had some blown saves, a couple losses on there. It, it's been okay, right? It's, it's been okay for Carlos Estevez as, as a closer. However, Adam Adovino, a, a sleeper in the bust favorite for sure, um, is, is looming. He's moved his triple a, or has moved his rehab to AAA. He'll be back soon. Do you think he usurps Estevez right away, or is it something where they kind of ease him back into it? What do, you, what do you think about the closer situation for the Rockies to kick off the first episode of Rockies Corner? You know, the... The team always thinks they're better than they are, and that they they're they're closer being into contention than they are. I mean, they're you could say they're only three or four games out of the wild card, but they're also behind the the Pirates, the Marlins, and these aren't even teams that are in the wild card. So they're behind three teams to get into the top two for the wild card. So it's pretty crowded where they are. They're they're under five hundred. I don't necessarily – we'll talk about one of the things I do like about the team later, but I don't necessarily see this team as having underperformed, that, that, yeah. that like, you know, way better days are coming. And all of this is preamble to the fact that if you are running the team for next year, then I think you actually do bring Adam Montevino into it because Adam Montevino's price is fixed for this year and next year. And Estevez is just going to get more expensive uh, two years from now if, if you do this. And I and – I, some teams don't do this. Some teams do. Some teams do it and claim they don't do it. But because I, you know, some I heard from someone on the A's that that they don't do it on the A's. Well, you didn't do that, but you signed Doolittle to a long-term deal, and, and, and like literally two days later, he was, was the closer. closer. Five, yeah, five seconds. It, it it certainly looked like they were they were doing it. And like you said, maybe. Sorry, I hit the mic there. Maybe some teams You're not do it. You don't do it because it's probably get the MLBPA exactly. really at a so No, no one will admit to it, but we're not dumb. We're not dumb. Right. And so Estevez is 23. So. And, and Estevez throws like he throws a, a ton of gas, but he throws like 75% curveballs. I mean, fastballs. So, you know, it's just uh, I think he's become predictable. Autumn, you know, is less predictable. And then Jake McGee is working his way back. That's true. Who was their closer? You know, he was only he was only bumped out because of injury. Uh, he's the lefty, but an Ottavino McGee. I'm definitely handicapping them ahead of Estevez. Look at this. McGee is expected to return to action Saturday. Oh wow! I didn't realize he was coming back that quickly. See, we're, it's the inaugural episode, y'all. I'll get better. Don't worry. I don't even know where to get Rocky's information. MLB.com doesn't even cover them. <laughs> So I apologize for that. Well, no, I don't think it's right because it's a Rotowire update. He's supposed to return to action Saturday, and he didn't. Oh, he was supposed to return to action last Saturday or this upcoming Saturday. No, it's this Saturday because it's the 27th. I thought it was last Saturday. So, okay. So, so yeah. He's supposed to return he's on the second. This, this weekend, Adovino is going to – I think what's going to happen is they put McGee back in the role, and Adovino just uh, slowly starts stealing saves against righties. I agree. I agree. But they can almost play matchups at that point. It becomes maybe a Doolittle Madsen situation. Um, would you Which scoop out of Vino right, right now? Uh, what's that? Would you scoop out of Vino in, in any leagues, leagues right now? Sure. I already, I already have a couple shares of Vino, and 
if he's out there in your NL only, if he's out there in your 18-team league, this is the time to pick him up, man. He's He's got closer stuff, and he's locked into a deal, and he's uh, he's going to be if – they, if they sell pieces, you know, I don't think it's going to be him. I think it's going to be McGee. Yeah, I, I completely agree there. Um, if they sell one of the two, maybe get McGee back in the role, get a good couple weeks out of him, and then and then trade him, and then go without Avino the rest of the way. So if you're you're a saves hound and you're looking for the next thing, I like Avino. He looked great before the injury. He's got like 52 sliders that he can manipulate. It's good to go there. Now let's crack open a Coors and move on to our next uh, topic here. John Gray, he's been interesting this year, right? Uh, Early in the season, it looked like, okay, he's, he's road only. You can definitely trust him there. He went out and had a few bad road starts. He's now mixed in some good home starts. It's really tough with these Rockies guys. And and it, it annoys me because I just wish that he could get a, a neutral setting to go out and, and be awesome. But, you know, you look at it, since the uh, Cardinals toasted him for nine earned in three and a third innings in St. Louis, which St. Louis is good, but I still thought he was going to go in there and hold his own. Maybe not seven innings, one run, but like, I don't know, even like a baseline quality start sure would have been a hell of a lot better than three and a third, nine runs for John Gray. But since that point, we got seven starts with 44 and a third innings, 44 strikeouts and a 345 ERA. And that's a mix of home and road. And in fact, hasn't given up more than four earned in any of those. His worst start was at New York when he walked five, he gave up four in four. So that's not a good start. But the other six have been solid starts. I don't say quality because technically his last one, uh, what was it, two days ago, was not a quality start, seven innings, four runs. But it was solid, right? You know, 59 game score, the Bill James thing, that's that's a good game score. Once you're approaching or reaching 60, that's good. So I would say it was a quality start, even though it doesn't fit the baseline definition. Where do we stand with John Gray as a fantasy asset, though? Because he has Coors lingering, is this somebody that you can feel confident starting even at home, or are you still trying to curate his road-only starts, you know? I mean, I, I think there's a lot here in common with Michael Pineda, actually, because you've got the excellent stuff, you've got an excellent slider, you've got an excellent fastball, and then every once in a while the command leaves him and he becomes unusable. And then you have to add on top of that the other layer of it being Coors Field. So yeah, I think you, what I, if you have that bad outing and it happens to be at Coors, it's doubly impactful right. negatively. I think it becomes, uh, you know, one place that I would lean further towards liking him is in K-9 leagues, you know, strikeouts per nine. Those leagues, it's very hard to find a starting pitcher with that type of strikeout upside that's still on the wire. So, you know, Gray Gray becomes much more palatable in those leagues where at least he'll keep your strikeout per nine rate up, even if he destroys the ratios. Um, and then, uh, and, and you know, the thing I like about what he's been doing recently is he's been throwing the slider almost as much as the fastball, which, you know, it did seem to work for Ivaldi for a while. I don't know what's, what's happened since, but, you know, basically hiding his, even though he has a big fastball, now he's making it so that you don't know which one's coming. And um, I think that's been very effective for him in terms of strikeouts. But he's also decided to start throwing the change more in the curve. And I think he's still sort of searching for that third pitch. The change is bad, and the curve by movement looks okay, but by results hasn't been so great. So I don't know what he's going to do with that third pitch. Yeah, do you have any recommendations that you think would work best for John Gray to be effective in Coors as far as his third pitch? Because like you said, it's, it's fastball well, slider pretty heavy right now. 
Yeah, you know, one thing that he did say that he's they might be doing, um, and I need to check this real quick. But you know, he's he said that basically Adam Ottavino was teaching him how to manipulate a slider. So turn it in because he throws it thirty one percent of the time, and it would not become a distinct uh, pitch classification. But like with Ottavino, he claims to have three different sliders, right? The the way he can manipulate them, and it might not show on on Brooks or on our pitch types as different pitches. But it is actually different pitches. So how how could he manipulate the slider to kind of give it a second look? Yeah. So for example, uh, early in the season, his slider against lefties had uh, let's just call it X amount of drop. And then now in the last five to seven starts, he's basically had two to three inches less drop um, on a slider to lefties. So that's basically throwing a cutter to lefties and a slider to righties. So he's basically finding a way to throw basically a harder, uh, a harder slider. And yeah, look at that. Uh, the slider was averaging 87, 88, um, and now it's averaging 90, oh, wow. 89, 90 to lefties. So he's basically throwing a cutter to lefties and a slider to righties. That I mean, it gives him two looks. The only one problem is that. You know, against lefties, he still becomes like a fastball cutter guy, and that's kind of kind of two fastballs. Yeah, he kind of needs that next that next pitch. The and you know he's been throwing that change, and it's been getting whiffs. I just don't trust it because the movement numbers are. Oh no, the change is not even getting whiffs, but the movement numbers are bad too. So he's it, there's uh, you could see why he gets the strikeouts because he can strike out any right hander with. You know, 96 in that wipeout slider. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he's going to have trouble against lefties. And I think the bad games are just, you know, just uh, games where either the lefties get to him or the command gets to him. It's funny because his uh, weighted on base average against both of them is, is the same. But if you look at his FIP uh, against lefties, it's a full run higher. So he gives up twice as many homers to lefties. And it's yeah. a classic platoon split problem. Yeah, it really is the classic two-pitch guy who needs to figure out something to, to combat opposite handers. But we're still – I'm still – The curve, but, you know, he's he's lives in, in cores where curves go to die. Exactly. So. Uh, I still, I'm still bullish on him a little bit, right, to be somebody who I think could figure out cores. Because, you know, we talk about him killing the ratios. Right now he's only killing and hurting your ERA. He's still got a 118 whip, John Gray does. So you're talking about good whip. Good strikeouts. I can work with that. I can work something with that in the deeper leagues. I play a lot of deeper Just leagues. Hopefully not Juan Nicasio. Oh God, don't even say it. that's mean. That's mean. We don't talk about players like that on Rocky's Corner. Uh, we're gonna finish out Rocky's Corner with an email from uh, Jay Elway. Didn't put his first name. Oh, Asks, I know who that is. Uh, I thought I did, but I, I don't know. It rings a little bit familiar, but I never heard of him. He said he lives in the area. Really loves football a little bit more than baseball, but does like baseball and wants to know about Tyler Anderson, who's actually pitching today and, you know, holding his own against the, uh, the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays come in mashing. Now he'll probably go out in the sixth inning and give up runs. He's in the sixth inning right now. Five and a third, seven hits, three runs, two of them earned, two walks, six strikeouts. A, a Josh Donaldson bomb is the big damage right now. Tyler Anderson has a 274 ERA through what I just said, through the five and a third today. He's looked pretty good. Got some good strikeouts going. Again, even today with the uh, with the six and five and a third, he's been well 
comfortably over a strikeout per inning. I want to say that that's uh, 24 in about 22 innings, I think. I'm, I'm trying to do the math off the top of my head. and It's not working. But either way, he's over a strikeout per inning. Walks have been really good. He's been holding his own in Coors. What do we know about Tyler Anderson? Because he was a one-time, at least, prospect on their list. Never really a top 100 guy, but a top 10 in the Rockies system sort of guy. He is 26 now, so he's kind of beyond the prospect uh, honeymoon period. Is this somebody who can keep performing like this? Because he's been pretty good. There, there's something here, man. There's something here. He's definitely closer to the bad fastball bucket than, you know, John Gray. Yeah. When it, it, I should mention he's a lefty, too. Just some people oh, want to know exactly what handed there. He's a, he's a lefty, uh, 6'4", 215. For those you who could, don't know his size. You could just sort of mush him together with John Gray. Oh. I mean, you'd have, a, you'd have like a Pat Bendit situation. That, but, that'd be pretty sweet. But also, you'd have a, an amazing fastball and then really great secondary stuff because his secondary stuff is good. There's a 10-mile-an-hour gap on his changeup. It's got good drop. It's got good fade. Uh, the cutter is a pretty hard cutter. It's only four miles an hour slower than his, than his fastball. Cutter gets good whiffs. Change gets good whiffs. They're both weapons he can use against righties. People are going to stack righties against him, and he's going to have weapons against them. Against lefties... He's going to have to do some stuff. He has a curve. He breaks out every once in a while. Different different system says he has a slider as well as a cutter. Mm-hmm. That's possible. That might be possible. Uh, I mean, if Adam Ottavino is on that staff, anything is possible with anybody's slider there. <laughs> exactly. The way they can manipulate them, the, the classifications can be kind of all over, all over the map. And so you, you don't want to get too hung up on that. Uh, but you don't have that fundamental problem necessarily. I, mean, I think you have three pitches – and let me see what he throws against lefties. He goes, he th- still throws the change against lefties, still gets, uh, you know, still gets whiffs. And um, the nice thing also is that it's that big velocity gap, I think, makes it a little bit better for even using it same handed, you know? Exactly. And he's not afraid. 22% for Tyler Anderson with his changeup against lefties, according to Brooks. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, uh, he's, he's using that pitch and, and, um, it doesn't rely as much about movement as it does in velocity. So I think he can still set them up with the four seam and then go to the change. And uh, and cutters, you know, cutters are are decently platoon neutral. So, you know, he's still he's getting about the same numbers from his cutter against lefties as he is from righties. You know, at some point, you'd kind of expect the batting average on balls and play to be bad, and it is. So, you know, to be doing as well as he's doing with the bad batting average on balls and play, yeah, he's going to give up a home run eventually, but... Um, you know, I think he'll be better than his projections, actually. Okay, so the, the, the question, as always, what kind of league are you picking up Tyler Anderson for? You know, because the thing, the, 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 those projections are nasty. The frustrating thing so much about Coors is he can just have that one bad start and it, and it will erase everything. And like you said, these these projections are not good. They've only got him for another 49 innings with a, a mid to upper fours ERA and a, a 140 whip. That whip is killer. But he's at 119 right now. Now, the 255 ERA and 119 whip don't jive. So the ERA is going to come up with the, even if he keeps these skills as is. Because like you said, the hits are falling in. You expect a higher Babbitt because of Coors. So we are seeing some of that. But he's been able to kind of strand runners and and not avoid uh, and avoid some some major ERA damage, but can he be a 370 
125 whip sort of guy? Yeah, I think so. You know, one thing I really like is there's a couple plate discipline numbers that, that are in his favor. 64.4% uh, first strike percentage. That's that's higher than average, and it's not quite elite, but it's it's above, it's it's nice. It's not just barely above average. It's nice. Uh, and then the 11.4% swing strike rate, you know, that's, you know, average for a starter is around nine. So he's he's pairing getting ahead with the kind of stuff that it takes to get a swing and strike. And he's not bothering with tons of fastballs. It's pretty much 30-30-30, fastball slider, or fastball cutter change. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I guess you could call the cutter a fastball, but there's enough movement on it that it's a little bit different. So I think you've got a wide mix here. A guy's going to get ahead and then uh, and then try to get you out on, on, on the, the bendy stuff. So real nice uh, ground ball rate and – even though it's a little bit early to really buy into that, I think um, you know I think that's something that they're looking for as a as an organization. And um, yeah, I will pick him up in eighteen teamers. Okay, eighteen team mix, and of course NL in only. Probably already team, a fifteen team mix. I might pick him up and put him on my bench and try to see if I can get him in and out. But uh, uh, San Diego stardom, you know. Team team mix. You're talking about top 100, right? Yeah. Um, let me see who I had near there in my last updated ranks. Um, this. Oh, that's March. That's March. That's March. That's, that's that. gonna be helpful. That's March. March. Well, I mean, it's not like okay. Well, June one is not much better, but it's, it's still a month ago. So around 100, I had. Hector Santiago, Jordano Ventura, Chase Ventura, Chase Anderson, Kendall Graveman. Interesting. I would take him. I would take Tyler Anderson, Anderson over. I think all of them at this point, maybe. I mean, so Chase Anderson has been better recently. He's been kind of up and down. Kendall Graveman's stuff has improved, and his home park is so nice. Giordano is just really just pissing me off. It's so frustrating because just, when he's on and he's he's had some starts since the uh, since the brawl, he's had some starts that have looked like okay, this is this is the mature uh, Giordano Ventura executing the best of his stuff, and then but in between it's like and then he gets popped. His last start, last start against St. Louis, popped for seven earned. So you know the brawl, he gave up six earned. Then one against the White Sox, six and a third shutout against the Tigers, and then seven uh, against St. Louis. Like the inconsistency is maddening as well. And he's just not getting anybody to swing. I think people are like, "You don't have good command." We're not. Yeah, we're not. Or, throw some strikes, buddy, and we'll. And we'll yeah, maybe throw swing some strikes. Down. Your ninety-five doesn't look like ninety-five because you throw with short extension. So you know, even when you do. When you when you are pumping in what looks like 95, 96, that actually feels more like 93. Um, and um, I'm just gonna ma- I'm just gonna wait you out here. And that I think you know you look at his game logs and the bad games always have you know uh, three walks, four walks, five walks, six walks. There you go. It's those uh, teams that are patient enough to say we're gonna make you come to us and, and then we're gonna pop you. I don't know. I I guess I would. Might hold on to your Don Aventura just and just be really mad because, <laughs> you know, he does have that upside. But uh, 
Yeah, Chase Anderson, you know, I think he's he's been better, but I don't think his upside is that great. It's a, it's not a great fastball, and it's in a bad park. Um, Hector Santiago just lost. The reason I even put him where I put him was because I believed in the velocity. So did I, and I was really encouraged by his, the start to his season. He had that great start. Last, well, great. He was great through all uh, through middle August last year, and then really tanked his numbers in the last eight or nine yeah. starts. Uh, did Santiago? He came out this year with some skills changes. I was like, okay, cool, because I, I don't know. I just always liked Hector Santiago, and then I jumped off the bandwagon, and I'm done with Hector Santiago. Like I need. A, a run of like 15 good starts, which obviously would be like the rest of the season. So I'm just done with Hector Santiago right now. Well, here's some names that might be surprising. I'll take them over. I will take Tyler Anderson over Mike Fultynewicz. Noah Syndergaard. I can't believe you said Noah Syndergaard. Oh my god! I you know. I heard it. It's on the recording. I'll, I'll take it over Archie Bradley. Jacob Degrom uh, because I hate the Mets. You hate the Mets? Hey, dude. Hey. We're finding, we're, y'all, we're learning about Eno's true colors. He would take. That's as far as I can push it, man. Okay. How, let me play Would You Rather with you. Tyler Anderson or Eduardo Rodriguez. Oh, God. Eduardo, man. Yeah, still. I don't still know if. Surprising stuff. He's not, he's not, he's tipping pitches in a new way. He actually sends a text to the batter <laughs> before each pitch. So it's just different. I would take, I'm going to take this shot on Tyler Anderson here. I really am because. Eduardo is just so busted right now, and he got sent out. I'll I'll take a shot on Tyler. Oh, he got sent out too. Uh, I believe he was sent out after that last outing because he got his face caved after in they were, again, and, they, and he was fighting with Dustin Pedroia on. Yeah, there was that whole thing, that whole uh, fracas. He got an earful from Dustin. Dustin probably tried to give him some tips the way he did uh, to David Price, and Eduardo's like, "I don't need those tips." And I'm like, "Look at your ERA. Yes, you do. Looks like maybe you do." <laughs> so yeah, I, I that that I'd rather have Tyler Anderson wait around for Luis Severino. I mean, I would too. Gonna... And I don't hate Severino. I actually really like him long term, but I, I kind of like what we're seeing here. It, there's always the risk of course. That's the scariest part. Like I said, it, it could it doesn't even have to be a skills failure for him to to be having a uh, you know 4.90 ERA in the blink of an eye because Coors is so ridiculous. But I'll take my shot. He's shown some good stuff. He's been pitching well today against a tough team in his home park. I like it. Tyler Anderson, we're getting him in deeper leagues right now. We're keeping an eye on him. If he's still available in your NL only, which I doubt because he, he does have a, a handful of starts with a, a mid-twos ERA, i definitely scoop him there in, in, in short order. Don't waste any more time. But I don't think he's super available in NL. All right, that's going to end it for Rocky's Corner. Again, 40 minutes per episode for the rest of the year, guaranteed on Rockies players. We got a big 20-minute deep dive on Daniel Descalso uh, coming up Friday, so get psyched for that, especially those of you in those 14-team NL West-only leagues. I know there's a lot of you out there, so it's going to be a huge episode, you know, talking about Descalso. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm so stupid. Anyway, that's going to wrap up the Wednesday episode. You and I will be back Friday talking baseball. You know, until then... Good luck dealing with the doldrums. Get your finger right. For Y'all wondering why we didn't talk basketball. You know, dealing with a little bit of an injury. But you're back out next week. It's just a one-week off, you think? I think so. The swelling's down. It's uh, only slightly fatter than my other. Oh, God, it's still fatter than my other finger. Jeez. I'm not laughing at your, your pain. I'm laughing at your your realization that, oh, my God, it's still, <laughs> it's still, still fat. I jam my, my middle finger in uh, softball on Monday. And it was looking bad. The tip was was super blue, and I was like, I can't let this I, I can't let this be an Eno situation. If it lingers, 
I got to get it looked at. But it's, today it's back to normal. So I'm yeah, good to yeah. go. I, I was day to day. I looked you up on Rotowire, and they're talking about a, maybe a 15 day DL. So. No, I make it. We'll see. We'll see. I'm. I gotta keep you. I gotta keep a close eye on you when it comes to roster lot. Because if I put you in my starting lineup and then you hit the DL, I'm gonna be pissed. All right, Dino. <laughs> let's get out of here. We'll talk Friday. Take care, man. All right. Thanks for listening.